It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And you could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. And you could be listening anywhere across the country on that app if you download the app and type in 106.5 E-L-M-N-T-F-M or 95.7 E-L-M-N-T-F-M. You could be listening on your device of choice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, anywhere across the country. So if someone is outside of our listening area and you think they might enjoy our programming or some of the great interviews that we have here on Moment of Truth, uh, please tell them to uh, check us out. And also, by the way, if you miss an interview and you're really interested that, uh, that uh, you, you heard about one that you might want to catch later, it goes up on our SoundCloud. So uh, you can always l- catch that on our SoundCloud as well as on our website. So uh, links are, are around for that stuff. And um, so please uh, feel free to uh, check us out and follow uh, us on the social media. Now, I'd like to introduce you to my guests today here on the show. And they are students uh, at or were at the University of Toronto. And uh, they are Andrea Johns and Ty Fellows. Uh, Now, you might think, well, there's lots of students that have graduated or attended university. What makes them so special? Well, we're going to tell you about what makes them so special and why they are here. So first of all, they're Indigenous students, and they received the President's Award for Outstanding Indigenous Student of the Year. So congratulations to both of you, and welcome to the show. Yeah, Wango. Thank you. Um, now, you know, it, it's interesting as I read this, uh, you guys have been uh, awarded because and recognized because you're, you're Indigenous students, and you accomplished uh, work beyond uh, your transient coursework and demonstrated a commitment to giving back to your communities. That's right. And that's quite something right there. So th- it's great that you both uh, did that. Now, Ty, I understand you uh, attended uh, University of British Columbia before mm-hmm. you came to Toronto as well. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Vancouver. and uh, That's a horrible place to grow up. What a, <laughs> I feel <laughs> no, so bad for you. Fortunate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually, from high school, I went to Capilano University for two mm. years, and then I successfully transferred to UBC where I completed an undergrad and master's there. Yeah, and you're, you're a medical student. Yeah. And uh, your choices to to help, uh, I think, in, in many ways, Indigenous people mm-hmm. or the underserved mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So I'm. I guess just a bit about my background. I'm. I would consider myself half uh, white and half uh, Inuit. Mm. Uh, my mom's from the north in Northwest Territories in a yep. community called Inuvik, and my father grew up in Montreal. But um, I grew up with my father in Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, and he left quite an impression on me in terms of inspiring me to reach higher in academia, and I think that's what brought me to university in the first place. And then from there, I, I also aspired to be a physician. I had various mentors that brought me there, but... Your I, dad was an emergency uh, physician. He, yeah, yeah. So he he played a big role, but there are other key figures along mm-hmm. the way, and... Um, I, pretty much from day one, I always kind of knew it, but I knew what would get me there is is not to do what I think was expected of me, but to do what I found interesting because I mm. knew mm. I knew that I would be more successful if I really did care about what I did. So that's why I did an animal biology undergrad and a zoology master's. Although that's kind of like off the, I don't know, the, the traditional way to medicine. And because I enjoyed it, I knew that, I don't know, I, I could stand out. Mm. I think it 
Mm. At least in some part brought me to where I am here in Toronto. So I'm really and when you say out. stand out, what do you mean by that? Well, I think uh, I think everyone that goes to university has something special to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they believe in themselves, I think that if if they do work hard enough, that that is a possibility. And I don't know when I I knew that if I really did follow my curiosity, I'd be able to see, be proud of myself. And I think others would be able to positively receive that. And I think when it comes to actually to the point in which you interview at medical school, I think that's the best thing um, that you can have is that positivity and, mm. and optimism. Mm. So I think so, that's what stands out. So definitely Great. one of the secrets, I think, to get in. Nicely said. And, uh, you know, that's interesting because it, it's sort of uh, an interesting uh, segue into Andrea's background and how she got to university because in some ways it's it's the opposite to to how you got there and, and how you inf- influence because Andrea um, you came with sort of uh, as a mature student mm-hmm. and you also weren't necessarily encouraged by your family uh, and and or uh, you felt in many ways when you entered university that you you weren't sure if you had what it took to, to, to sustain, sustain yourself at university. Yeah, so um, first of all, Sego, Sego, Guego, Andrea Yunjets. Uh, my name's Andrea Johns. I'm a Mohawk from uh, Six Nations of the Grand River, Turtle Clan. Um, yeah, so I, be, I came to university at the age of 28. Uh, I was a mature student. Um, I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money and education always sort of took a back seat um, to our immediate needs. And I was working in the service industry for quite a long time and I was really sick of that and I wanted to go back to school, but I wasn't sure uh, what I wanted to do. So I, I entered through the academic bridging program at U of T and I began taking Indigenous studies and that was really sort of um, the catalyst for me to want to pursue higher education and sort of led me to where I am today. I One of my um, main passions is language revitalization mm. and I was able to take uh, Mohawk under Professor Ryan DeCare for two years and I'm hoping when I finish school that I can take the immersion program at Six Nations um, and then that might lead me to other elements of my higher education. Mm. Okay. Now, again, when you entered university, um, one of the w- one of the words that you used was you felt overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and um, so here's my question, because I could readily identify with this. This, in many ways, is my exact story. What you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, I too came from uh, underprivileged, very poor, not encouraged to. Uh, no one went to post secondary in my my, my family, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was only through um, well, it's a long story. But the point is, when I got there. I too felt exactly as you, as you say overwhelmed. I felt like running away. I felt like I can't do this. I will never succeed at this. And uh, and yet uh, because like you said, uh, Ty, that you had mentors that people were in somewhat encouraged you. The people that did encourage me, I didn't want to let down because mm-hmm. they had encouraged me to get to that mm-hmm. point. So, and I also found, and I don't know if either of you can identify with this, and if you can, I would appreciate if you can elaborate, mm-hmm. uh, Andrea specifically, but, um, uh, you know, I, I felt like where, w- once I was there, and I'm going through the process, 
I'm there by myself. I didn't have my mentors anymore. I was there and I had to do this by myself. And that's where sort of the rubber hit the road, where regardless of, of the things against me, I had to perform. I had to, I had to do the work. I had to get rid of all those negative thoughts in my head and, and, and soldier on sort of to, to get the work done and, and to do that. Did either of you struggle with that as you were going through your, your education? Uh, definitely in the first year. Uh, I found it, especially because I'd been out of school for over 10 years, and U of T obviously has extremely rigorous yeah. standards. And uh, it and it was quite lonely, too. I mm-hmm. didn't, be, being a mature student, mm-hmm. I'm a lot older than many of the people that I had uh, met in school. But um, having access to like First Nations House and the Center for Indigenous Studies, that was really where I started to meet other Indigenous students and sort of have a community at the at the university. And um, that that did help quite a bit in terms of just having a place to go, a place to kind of ground me. Um, There's an elder in residence at First Nations House. There's uh, academic supports. There's all kinds of um, sort of cultural supports as well that I think really helped me academically but also socially and financially mm. thanks mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ty anything ring true there for you well I think for so many reasons um, I don't know right now is a particular sensitive time because so I finished medical school April of last year okay um, and traditionally when you finish medical school you go into a residency program and you apply to various ones across the country, and mm-hmm. I had uh, applied to 15, and unfortunately, I didn't get into any. So mm-hmm. I would be considered an unmatched student. And um, usually the case is for now, you have to wait another year, and then you reapply. So I recently submitted an application. I'm going through the process again with the hopes of getting to a residency program. This year around, though, I've been a bit more broad. All this to say, I guess this is just a bit of context for, I don't know, the feeling of, I guess, isolation. Now, I don't want to attribute it to my indigenous heritage, although mm-hmm. that does, does play a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's challenging when there's not many people to turn to that fully appreciates the circumstance you're in and to continue going. Mm. And as e- equally challenging, at, at least I feel about it, it it's equally empowering, mm. meaning that you're kind of not blazing a trail because I don't want to be that grandiose about it, but like, I know when you look back, you're going to you're, you're gonna look at yourself and, you know, you did something you didn't think you could. And mm. I think we all have stories like right. that. And that's what I think keeps us all going. And we all kind of form our own stories about ourselves. And I don't know, I think it's um, it's a delight to see it in others when, 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 when that's available. So thanks for sharing earlier. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, now, yeah. listen, uh, what I'd like to ask you then is uh, as you look forward. Um, ultimately, where would you like to end up, Ty? What, what do you see yourself, um, how do you see yourself applying what you've learned so far? Yeah, so if, if you had asked me like maybe about two months ago, I, I was pretty confident about uh, applying to the uh, emergency medicine okay. and, and starting a residency mm-hmm. there. Um, I recently had an experience up north actually through the family medicine residency in Inuvik, so actually my home community, where mm-hmm. I really did get to return back a favor mm-hmm. academically and, and personally. And I got to see a lot of um, um, community members in the clinic. So that was actually quite inspiring, and that really aff- affirmed me, you know what, I could pretty much do anything and still be happy. So I guess my goal is to match who, 
a residency, if, mm. if, if I want to be very broad, and in particular, probably either emergency. Um, well, I did apply to six specialties. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason why I applied to those six is because I think I'd be equally happy amongst them all. Right. So, yeah. Right. Andrew, just before we get to uh, the same question for you, I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM, and this is Moment of Truth. And uh, I'm your host, David Moses. My guests uh, in the studio with me are Andrea Johns and Ty Fellows, and they are both uh, graduates uh, from the University of Toronto. I'm an undergraduate. You're still so a new graduate. Yeah, I graduate. have one semester left. One semester left, okay. And uh, they're here because they've been honored by the President's Award for Outstanding Indigenous Student of the Year, and they were recognized because they, were, they have done made accomplishments uh, beyond their coursework uh, and grades. Uh, that demonstrate a commitment uh, to giving back to their communities. And um, what a wonderful way to sort of start the new year with that idea of giving back to your communities. And both of you have chosen sort of different ways. Andrea, you're, you're, you're really focused, I think, on language revitalization and, and doing that sort of thing. Yeah, so I started an Indigenous Languages Club uh, last semester um, that's ongoing. And that's for students to, or anyone of, of Indigenous or not, to learn um, right now we have Mohawk and Anishinaabe Moan. I'm hoping to expand to Cree speakers, uh, Inuktitut, um, and anyone who's available to sort of teach. We just have a kind of drop-in snacks, games, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's an ongoing passion of mine. Again, like I had said, I'd want I would really like to attend the immersion program at Six Nations um, and become a fluent speaker. I think that it's really important for Indigenous um, people to learn their language. Um, particularly when they're at a state, well, the, it's it was the UN Year of Indigenous Languages. Now mm. they're declaring it the Decade of Indigenous Languages, and um, you know many of them are in peril. So it's very important that I, I'm very much of an advocate for learning your language. And you know it's wonderful that you uh, that that you're doing that. We, in fact, here at Element FM, also want to encourage language, and we're looking for uh, language programming. So if anyone is out there listening mm -hmm. that wants to get involved, because that's something we have found in our search uh, when we've reached out to uh, language uh, instructors and people that we want to get involved with with creating uh, language programming, is they're also busy, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. That they're also busy, that they're, they're busy with students, they're busy uh, trying to educate people with language, and that's fabulous. Um, however, we, we want to uh, try, and, try and promote that as well and, uh, and get it out to those people that aren't able to attend school or mm -hmm. able to go to Six Nations or able to go to their communities uh, so we can just introduce some of that to, to the people uh, that are interested as well. So again, if anyone is uh, within earshot and uh, knows someone that might be uh, uh, interested in creating the language, uh, please uh, get a hold of us here at, at Element FM. So um, when you guys were, were presented with the President Award, uh, the U of T President, uh, Mercy uh, uh, Gertler, uh, made that award uh, to you. And in doing so, uh, he said something that both of you have a skillful, balanced academic success with community engagement, service, and advocacy of indigenous issues. And um, he, he said that you were, you know, that your passion and drive of indigenous students uh, is, is invaluable, which I, I agree with that. Uh, were you surprised when you were given this award, by the way? Either of you, uh, uh, Ty? Yeah, um... So I had applied to this award okay. in, the, in, the, in the prior years. Mm. And I, 
I kind of expected not to get selected then. And um, I had applied, I believe, last year in light of actually not finding out I went on a match. And mm. so to actually be selected mm. afterwards was mm. quite, um, I don't know, meaningful to me because, mm. you know, when you when you don't get selected for a residency program, there's something personal that happens. Sure. And there's, you know, although it might be negative thoughts that make you feel like, oh, you know, you're not really wanting all that. And then to, I don't know, be rewarded with such a, a humbling award is, is quite, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, it, it it teaches me something that I'm actually in a position of of, of great privilege and opportunity. And so, I don't know, I, I, I took that opportunity as, um, to actually, I don't know, share a positive message. Um, and actually, I didn't realize the outreach, some of those words. I don't know if you expected it, but I definitely did not expect to have any let alone, you know, a, a publication hmm. and, and an interview and, and this in of itself, I, I did not expect for hmm. it. And I, I look at these situations as, as an opportunity for, I don't know, seeing ourselves or seeing our future culture, and, you know, envisioning hmm. where our culture um, hmm. should be. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 in. A, it, I'm, I'm extremely grateful to have mm. been chosen. Nicely said. Um, Nicely said, Andrew. Yeah, uh, it was extremely humbling for me. I had applied in previous years um, and didn't receive it, uh, which you know I, the people alongside. If you look at the the history of um, award winners, they're PhD students or they're now um, professors at the university. They're people who are advocates and you know they're well recognized names so to be chosen alongside them mm-hmm. um was humbling and again I'm gr- extremely grateful uh for that I was surprised though I'm I don't know why maybe there's just something like about you know just getting an award like that it's it's extremely amazing well let me ask you this I didn't realize you had to apply for that award mm-hmm. so why did you, the two of you choose to apply for the award to begin with well the first nations house sends out (laughs) a notification for everyone to do that but um i i think that i felt this year that i was in more of a position to be deserving of that award in terms of Mm. um prior to that you know i had i've always done community work Mm -hmm. um but starting the language club and really start sort of grounding myself in that and trying to be more of an advocate both on campus and in the community at large, I think is reflective of the, the status that I felt deserving of that. Um, and I was happy to be chosen at this point versus previous years. I, f- I feel more deserving of it. You know, that's interesting that you use the word deserving several times in your, your comment there. And I think that's really interesting and quite a contrast to the woman that we heard about that was applying to university who felt basically unworthy, that, mm-hmm. that felt they weren't deserving mm-hmm. and that they, they had th- these challenges in front of them that they, they felt were overwhelming. So congratulations for that growth and for coming to that point of realization and, and reaching uh, to, to even feel that confidence in yourself that, hey, I think I deserve this. So congratulations. Thank you. Hi. Yeah. Um, so uh, when I started post-secondary um, studies, uh, I was grateful enough to actually get um, just some small scholarships from my community. Mm. 
Um, and I really got to see the the benefit or the translation of, of the scholarships to things I enjoyed. So I would use that money sometimes to get a book or sometimes mm. to pay for a membership to a gym or, mm. or various things like maybe get bike parts for my mm. bicycle to repair. Mm. And with each year, at least okay, so when I first started out, I felt like, oh, there are better people for this award. But with each year, I realized that this award, this the financial benefit, is coming from people who see the value in giving back to, I don't know, future scholars. Mm. And I'm not in a position to, I don't know, say why I deserve it or do not deserve it. And that decision, I don't think, is up to me. Mm. And so that, I think there's, there's a slight difference, and there's, I don't think any uh, either one's right or wrong. I just I, I've used that opportunity as just like well if people want to pay me to study, I will be grateful to receive it, and if I don't get chosen, that's fine. Um, and another thing, the reason why I applied to this particular award is because when I applied to U of T, I wasn't even going to apply to U of T because mm. I was coming from Vancouver, I was out mm. of province. I had applied to medical school two years prior to just UBC. I didn't get selected, so I didn't even think, and not even let, I don't even think I met some of the, the requirements as an undergrad. Mm. I think later, because I was a graduate student, I, maybe some of those were lax, lax, and I didn't think I was going to get in. Mm. But my father said, "You know what? That's not for you to decide. Right. You let them decide." Right. You know, and I've kind of taken that mentality with everything I I kind of want to do. And if, you know, if I have those self-conscious feelings of, oh, I'm not good enough, I kind of think of that moment of let them decide. Mm-hmm. Get your application in and then just see what happens. And that was sort of that mentality when I applied to the President's Award. Although I don't, I think there are so many other worthy candidates, I, I let them decide and, right. and I'm just thankful to have been chosen. Yeah, you, that's a great uh, comment that you made. And I think that, uh, that, it, it, it speaks to both of you in applying for this award, and, and that is that uh, that it is up to other people. It, it's it, it isn't it wasn't up to you, but the f- the fact that you felt there was something there in you that was somehow deserving of this, that you felt uh, confident enough to put yourself out there, because we can all and we and so many people, you know, just cut themselves short without. You know, they think, oh, I'd like to, but they don't take the step. They don't take the step because mm-hmm. of those doubts that you just mentioned, the self-doubt. And they never find out. And you never find out, and you'll never find out if you don't take that mm-hmm. step to put yourself out there and at least apply. If they say no, well, they say no. But if you are, and as you guys were both recipient of, of this award, it speaks to, as you say, the value that other people see in what you're doing. So congratulations, and I'm and I'm really happy that we're able to have this discussion mm-hmm. because I'm hoping there's other people out there listening to this right now mm-hmm. that might be in a position either now or in the future mm-hmm. that will hear what you guys are saying about this and find that courage to to want to do something and say you know what I'm I'm gonna take this step because I never thought of it that way before that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know uh, cut myself off from opportunities because of what my own thinking is saying. It's not up your own thing. It's not up to your own thinking. It's up to what other people see as the value, as you both guys both pointed out there. So congratulations, and and Yawa and Miigwech for for sharing those things with us today on the show. Yawa Listen, we're running out of time, but I'm wondering: is there anything else you guys feel is important that we haven't talked about uh, that you want to share, or you feel is important to to mention just before as we end the show, Andrea? 
Um, well, just sort of going back to your point that that you had mentioned earlier, I think I've spoken to quite a few Indigenous students and there seems to be this element of like an imposter syndrome or you don't feel like you're quite good enough or something. And, and that's something that I've noticed. Um, but just if anyone's out there that is listening, you are good enough and there's place for you and there's space for you to, we are the people that are going to be doing the work for ourselves and for our communities. And I think that that's a really important element that you have you know, knowledge and histories and stories within you that, you know, can be applied to academia and other elements that I, I just think it's really important that we are the people that do the, the work of the future and there is space for you. Nicely said. Ty? Yeah. Um, you know, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about, I guess, this idea of advocacy mm. um, and and uh, in particular Indigenous advocacy I, I think as as being a member within the Indigenous community, I feel like we might be too, um, we might not be acknowledging enough our non-Indigenous advocates who speak our, on our behalf. It, it takes a lot of, I think, courage to admit one's own um, wrongdoing, not to say it's right doing, you know, right and wrong is very subjective. But to acknowledge one's own contribution and to be inclusive of groups that are not their own. And I think it, it, we should try our best to reciprocate that as well, um, to really find a, a, a strong uh, relationship in the future. So I, every time I come across someone who feels like they are not Indigenous, but they aspire to, I don't know, find betterment for both communities, I'm actually quite inspired by that. And I just want to share that. Mm, nicely said. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are very supportive that are non-Indigenous, of, of, of Indigenous people, Indigenous uh, rights, Indigenous uh, culture, and all the things that, uh, that we know have been stripped away over many years uh, through, through this country and through policies, uh, through the government, etc. So, uh, nicely said. And I think that, um, that it, it's, you know, it's right that you point that out as well. That is uh, going to wrap up our, our interview, guys, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you both yeah, coming in you. to to speak with us today and, and yeah. share your stories a little bit, and, and uh, we wish you all the best in the future for both of you in, in your endeavors and what you pursue. Nyawangoa, thank you. Nyawangoa mm. and uh, Chimigwech, and also to our listeners, I want to say Nyawa uh, and Miigwech for listening, and it's been a pleasure to have uh, my two guests in the show today, Andrea Johns and Ty Fellows. They're both... Uh, uh, University of Toronto students, and uh, they received the uh, President's Award for Outstanding Indigenous Student of the Year, and that is recognizing their accomplishments that transcend coursework and grades and demonstrate a commitment to giving back to their communities. So, yeah, and uh, also uh, congratulations once again to both of them. Thank so you. that's uh, this half of the show, but please don't go away because we will be right back, and we're going to have more coming up on Element FM and Moment of Truth. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. And don't forget, you can also be listening online on the, uh, on the Radio Player Canada app. If you uh, download that app and type in ELMNTFM 106.5 or 95.7, you could be listening anywhere across the country on your device of choice at any time, 24-7, seven days a week. And uh, for people outside of our listening area, you can tell them about uh, that. And if they've missed uh, an opportunity to either catch part of a show or part of our interviews, they can go online. It's on our SoundCloud as well. So people can go up there and listen to uh, an interview if they've missed it 
at any time. I'd like to welcome my next guest to the show. Her name is Phyllis Ellis. She's a creator, a writer, a director, and producer, and performer in a factual and a scripted television and film, and she's here to talk about her film, Toxic Beauty. I have to tell you that uh, I had the opportunity to see this film, and it's a it's it's a very informative film, but I have to tell you that I was a little disturbed in seeing it because of the content from which uh, it deals with, and that is with uh, cosmetics and the idea that some of these cosmetics have been around for a long time. Mm. Some of them we take, uh, and, and they're not just for women. It's things that men can use as well. Uh, in particular, it focuses on one particular item, mm -hmm. uh, a baby powder product, which uh, many of us may have had uh, uh, th uh, put on us as children. And it is still around, and it's been going uh, for a long time. And yet, what really surprised me was to learn from this film that this is an industry that is very has very 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 little regulation around mm. it and it is a very powerful industry as well mm -hmm. phyllis welcome to the show thanks for having me well thank you for uh, bringing this film out and bringing the attention that it does to the industry and for many people it's you know it's a very educational film that i think everyone should see oh thanks yeah it was a long uh long process and, uh, you know, it's very, you know, along your life as an artist, you get a chance to do something that really makes an impact. And I think this took us three years to make. I certainly didn't make the film alone. Mm. I had, a, you know, an amazing group of people that I worked with. And, um, yeah, every, every step along the way from sort of the inception to the, um, you know, locking picture, which... You know, you know, we never wanted to lock because we just were finding out more and more information. So it was it was kind of a privilege, and it's it's a privilege also to spend time with women at the end of their life. Mm. You know, it's a real honor to, for someone to invite you in. And to your point, too, uh, David, it was, um, you know, there's a, a woman in the film who had a huge life. You know, she was ground zero in Kuwait and Afghanistan and she was kidnapped and she could have been killed in a car bomb, which happened 10 seconds after she got out of the car. And here she's being dying, causally linked to using a personal care product. And yeah. uh, that was quite alarming. And, you know, you start the film with that. <laughs> mm. It was uh, for me, I was going, what's the connection here? Why, mm -hmm. why are we watching something that's related to war? Mm -hmm. And yet uh, you, you do a very nice job of bringing that back around. And it is unfortunate that... Uh, that that woman does pass away <sighs> before her court case and and mm. uh, in the, during the process of making this film. Yeah, we we, um, we started uh, we started the, the the creative process and the mm. narrative sort of mm. arc of the film was we had an audio deposition of Jacqueline Fox, who was one of the women that uh, passed away, and and I had this audio deposition, mm -hmm. so we laid it out, and we knew that was going to be the spine of the film. Mm. Um, and then we ended up finding all these extraordinary women and um, amazing experts. I mean, I'm a filmmaker. I'm not an expert. So, mm -hmm. you know, the experts and the subjects in the film sort of guided the narrative. And sure. then we happened upon that young woman that uh, yeah. was doing the Kimba but yeah. Mimi. Yeah. Oh, Mimi. So, yeah, yeah, Mimi. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was a, you know, it certainly changed my life. Mm. 
you know, I've toxified both my kids now that mm-hmm. I know what I've <laughs> myself. Yeah. And, you know, at my age, like I think, wow, like what what now is going to happen as a result? And it's certainly one area, but it's an important area because we use these products all the time. You know, uh, again, I, I'm floored when I when I when I see and, and you know, it was really interesting to to see that. Uh, there are there are ex, ex, excerpts of some uh, government representatives in the mm-hmm. United States making depositions and, and presentations mm-hmm. about this stuff, mm-hmm. and um, and you know when you hear uh, about things that uh, these companies are are putting in, it it, it boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. You know, it boggles the mind because we are all humans. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a corporation or not, mm-hmm. the corporation is just a thing. But people are behind this. Yeah, it, it's such a, uh, you know, at first, uh, when the film was at Hot Docs, um, I had this really amazing um, sort of media training thing with this awesome guy named Robin Sears. And it was a lot of tension. There were t- tension with um, you know insurance and and defamation mm. and you know and all the things you have to be really careful about. Sure. And and we were talking about you know you know using the word talc and talking about the experts and referring to quotes amazing quotes from the people in the mm-hmm. film. And then um, it it had this great opportunity with Chuck Todd in Washington and I also talked to Robin before I went, and he said just lean in. You know, abuse of power, corporate power, corporate. We see it with Mark Ruffalo's new film. And there's all kinds of amazing human beings that were long before me working in this space. But when you look at, like Rick, Dr. Rick Smith says in the film, the greatest chemical disaster is happening outside <laughs> and look at what's happening with global warming, mm. but what's happening inside. And this is a huge sort of chemical disaster that... And so I think, we, you know, it plays into that. And I was in London, and one of the women in the film, her name's Dr. Philippa Darbra, and she's been working for 14 years connecting um, parabens and underarm deodorant to breast cancer. It was sort of laughed off the face of the earth 14 years ago. And she was, first time, 650 people, and there's this great audience. And then a young woman stood up at the back of the theater, and she said, I don't know what to do. Because people take this film very personally. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she said, well, you know, the biggest antagonist in this story isn't the chemicals uh, and aren't the chemicals, the toxicants and the the carcinogens. One of the biggest antagonists is the marketing departments of big pharma and big cosmetics that say we're not enough or we're too much. You're too old. Your hair's too straight. Your skin's not the right color. Uh, Products called face off and... Mm. Um, so there's the whole aging thing, there's the youth thing, there's skin tone. And Dr. Amizota, she was one of the very first people I had the privilege of meeting. And she said, um, we have to change these beauty norms so women don't have to choose between their health and trying to look beautiful based on these arbitrary standards. But, you know, it's young women, old women, older women, men, but it's children too because... There are these really key times uh, that we have to worry about, and it's all the hormonal times in vitro, mm-hmm. when babies are born, yep. puberty, childbearing years, menopause, male menopause, all the rest of it. So it's it's kind of an all-encompassing um, subject that I think the film just 
points a finger and, and draws some attention to. And, and, you know, the other thing that's interesting is, and it goes back to some of the statements that were made, it, it, when someone says, well, what, what do people what do people think or assume when they receive when they get a product then they're using it mm-hmm. and uh, one of the comments is well they assume the FDA has already approved this i it's funny because i kind of liken it to did you see um Temp, uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom mm. and at the very end there's this huge warehouse and there's like oh, yeah. 4,000 million yep. art, uh, antiquities yep. and then mm-hmm. there's this little glimmer so i kind of look at it there's this big warehouse and Jim and Bob are standing and going, well, I don't know, looks safe to me, looks safe to you. Yeah, put it on the skid. And out it goes because there are millions of products. Yeah. And and uh and it's what it the experts tell us in the film is that in the United States the uh regulations haven't changed since 1938 mm. that uh the industry regulates itself. What Judy Gelfand tells us, Julie Gelfand tells us in the film, in Canada, it's a post-market regulatory yeah, system, same in the right. EU, can go on the shelf. So basically, you and I could go in my purse and you could find something in the back. We could make, put anything we wanted in a bottle, yeah. um, make it look pretty, and then go to the drugstore and say, you know, we've got 100 units of, the, of something called uh, Friday, mm-hmm. and it's a skincare product. And they could say, oh, that looks good. We'll take mm-hmm. 50 units. Put it on the shelf, and as long as nobody um, says anything, right? It could it could actually, and yeah. then the internet is the wild west because you oh, yeah. you and I could throw it on the yeah. web today and sell yeah. it for fifty bucks and call it clean. And there's lots of that happening, as we know. Yeah, it's very unfortunate, and uh, and as you say, this post market <laughs> regulatory system, which is which is, in other words, we are the guinea pigs, and if no one has a reaction, yeah, it's okay. That's right. I mean, you know, there's so the one I I met this guy, Dr. David Michaels. He wrote a book called Doubt is the Product. And Doubt is the Product was the marketing slogan from Big Tobacco. He's also Mm. written a new book now looking at all different industries. He basically said, um, I want to caution you. And again, it was, so I saw Dr. David Michaels and Dr. Mizoda in the same day. It was right my first two interviews after Dr. Kramer. And he said, I just want to caution you because um, there is no balanced argument. We're always looking for a balanced argument as journalists or filmmakers. Mm. And he said, take climate change, for example. In 1978, 1976, people were saying, I think we have a problem. Climate change is an issue. And the balance was what he called a false balance because that balance is created by industry, science that they hire, we're told, no, there's nothing to, you know, climate change. He said, imagine if we had listened to that in, yep. in this late 70s, early 80s, we wouldn't have, the polar ice caps wouldn't right. be sliding down right. as we speak. Right. He said, it's the same thing. He said, the cut with cosmetics and personal care products, it's it's not in the backseat. It's not even in the car. Yeah, exactly. And yet it's products that we use every day. Scott Faber, who's with Environmental Working Group, said he was speaking to a thousand people. Mm. And he, the first thing he does when he goes to speak, he says, okay, who in this room did not use a cosmetic or personal care product this morning? There was one person. So 999 people had used a product. It's not to say all chemicals are bad. Mm-hmm. It's not to say everything, every product is right. bad. But um, I think we have to be aware what we're putting on our skin and what's going in, because whatever we put on our skin goes in, that's it, right? And, and I want to allude to uh, another comment by uh, someone from a reputable uh, 
uh, company uh, mm-hmm. that that did make a comment to that mm-hmm. effect. In mm-hmm. but first, I just want to let everyone know that uh, they're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And my guest is Phyllis Ellison. She is the writer director for Toxic Beauty. It's a documentary film uh, featuring the the tactics and the life and death issues of public health and that have been kept in the shadows by the powerful pharmaceutical companies and the weakness of government regulators. And uh, it really does shine a light on that. I recommend everyone try to uh, see this film, Toxic Beauty. If you have not, if you have children, if you have uh, nephews, nieces, if you, it, you wha- whoever you are, uh, this film touches everyone uh, that uh, uses any kind of products. So it's very interesting to watch, and not just for females. It also uh, touches on some some products that men use. Mm-hmm. But uh, hey, uh, everyone has personal choices in their life, and some of these products that uh, we may associate with, uh, you know, f- females, men may be using them. And uh, so hair products, you know, mm-hmm. we're not just talking about cosmetics you put on your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, creams, lotions, shampoos, all of this stuff is underarm deodorant. Yeah. Um, um, cologne. Yep. Anything that has the word fragrance mm. on any product or parfum, there is a real lo- because um, fragrance is proprietary. There is a long list of chemicals mm. that goes into just that word that they don't have to. And there's way too many to list. And within those chemicals, I mean, you can also have um, heavy metals. Yeah. Um, hair straightener, dry shampoo. Um, leave-in conditioner, um, an eyeshadow, mascara can mm-hmm. have coal tar, mm-hmm. lead, mercury, yep. and and formaldehyde. And formaldehyde, and that that's really interesting. And also, too, people say, "Oh, come on, you know, there's just trace amounts <laughs> of lead." Well, no amount of lead is safe. Mm. The World Health Organization a long time ago said no amount of lead is safe. So if there's lead in your lipstick, which you can go on and find on Think Dirty or one of the, the, mm. the really good apps, if, well, if, they ha- if they've tested for it, think about, if, okay, so there's lead in your lipstick, but there's just trace amounts. Well, how many times do you reapply it? Mm. And, and it's actually on your skin, right. so it's actually it's being absorbed. absorbed. Yep. And so, you know, I mean, these are things. And, and you know, we talk about public health. And I, I, I'm going to lean into this because I think it's important just by the number of products. Uh, I, I think that, for, the, for example, when you look at TELC, which the Canadian government in 2018 in December uh, identified TELC as a carcinogen. It is banned in countries. Mm-hmm. It is not banned in Canada. There are 2,000 products that contain talc. 1,000 are loose powders. So we're talking eyeshadow, blush, underarm deodorant, anything that's powdery, dry shampoo, any, 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 you have to really check and look to see. But I'm going to lean in and say that it is also a woman's health issue. Mm-hmm. And because sure. women's health is down the dial, I can assure you if men's body parts were getting cancer because they were using talc, um, this would have been taken off the market a long time ago. So I don't, you know, want to belabor that, mm-hmm. but I think we have to be aware of, you know, women's health issues, children's health issues, and of course, men. There's a great doctor, Doctor Anna Walt, out of Seattle, that's been studying um, the effects of. Um, endocrine disruptors, mm-hmm. uh, parabens, uh, phthalates, yep. and so forth yep. on young men, yep. looking at um, uh, infertility. 
So it's not just whatever. It's also some major things that are happening to young people now that are being affected by a lot of different things, but personal care and cosmetics are a focus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it actually mentioned in the film also about uh, young men, young boys that uh, are developing breasts and these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So talking about exactly to your point there. Um, you, you know, the other thing, uh, as we were talking just before the break, and, and it uh, talks about um, how this one company came forward and said, we... We actually removed something because you knew it was it was not a good uh, item to use, but mm-hmm. we replaced it with something else. Only to find yeah. that that too mm-hmm. was was or worse. Yeah, or worse. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that even a even a company that was was trying to do the right thing uh, came up against this. And and you know you you talked about trace amounts and all of these things. Um, again, uh, I want to go back that uh, there are now lawsuits that mm-hmm. are going forward mm-hmm. with, with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- but it's still interesting that, you know, at the end of this film, uh, there is, <laughs> you show an ad by the president of this company mm. and still toting the safety of this, this product. And yet it's been, go- and we're going back, as you mentioned earlier, like 50, 60 years of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I crazy. mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a, a, a expert or a scientist. And so, um, Dr. Michaels also said chemicals, uh, minerals, they're not innocent until they're proven guilty in epidemiology. Yeah. It's a precautionary it was, principle. Yeah. So if there is a chance, yeah. not definitively, like we draw a straight line right. between this and cancer, but if there is a chance you remove it, right. And um, the fact that Dr. Kramer causally linked talc to ovarian cancer in 1982. Right. And all that needed to be done was a warning label Mm -hmm. or it to be taken off the shelf. And cornstarch is an awesome alternative. And yet they dug in their heels. So... Again, I, I'm I'm not testing the product. I'm not an expert. I'm a filmmaker that's listening to. But when we don't listen to brilliant scientists that are not being paid by industry, it degrades science. Mm-hmm. It degrades the outcome when we question. So I think um, we're at a point now as human beings. You said we're all human beings, and and that's sort of my my point of view too. When we when we have knowledge, it's like when you when when you know something you can't unknow it right and so now that we know and to be aware it's not to like raise the alarm bells we're not all going to die from using shampoo but when you don't have to use it and it's discretionary product maybe look for something that doesn't contain the you know the chemicals the phthalates the parabens the endocrine disruptors it's really easy to go on Mm. you go on think dirty which is the app I really like, and you plug in your product, and it spits out, and it says, "Woo, toxic, eight out of ten, or you're good," or and and that's a really easy way to kind of go through. I think the idea of clean beauty is also really complicated because, again, you know, we're asking, we're we're, we're replacing all the products that we're telling, say, I'm just going to go with young women that they need to use four thousand products on their faces. I think. Dr. Darber said, reduce, 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 and remove. Mm. I mean, I'm one to talk. I, I was going to try and let my hair go gray. 
So I did it for a while. And then I was going to London to, to, to you know, I thought, I can't go to London looking like this. Mm-hmm. So I went and had $300 of chemicals put on my head, which wow. is the worst thing that you can do because mm-hmm. it's so hard. Like mm-hmm. we've been ingrained that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting older. I'm trying to hang on to whatever youth I have left, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever. But if we can find, um, there are products that exist that don't have this crap in them. Right. You know, to go back to something you, you talked about, um, and, and it popped into my head because I, I think of it also in line with the, the climate which you brought up. Mm. Why can we not err on the side of caution mm-hmm. with anything? Well, it's a you huge know? industry, $750 yeah. billion yes. dollar industry. Yes. And, and I mean, David said it too. He said, it's not like... Um, everyone in the tobacco industry got up every morning and said, let's kill people today, yeah, right? right? He, there was a great quote he gave, and I can't remember who it was. It was like from the 30s or 40s, so it's it's sort of a, a you know little bit masculine statement. But um, when a man goes to work and he's making his living doing what he's doing, it's really hard to convince him that he's wrong. Yeah. And, and so I don't believe that they're all sitting, you know, rubbing their hands together saying, Oh, let's put formaldehyde in this shampoo. And it's easy to turn turn an eye and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Well, after the film was finished, and we had done some research in this space as well, um, um, there's a, a huge article that just came out about products that women of color are using for leave-in conditioners and hair straighteners and uh, different brands that have been linked directly and these to breast cancer. And um, uh, Dr. Tamara James Todd, who's in the film, has done all this research. And um, the uh, Endocrine Society had done a, a study, and there were all these young um, African American girls and boys that had gone into precocious puberty, which means early puberty. So at yep. six and eight and ten, they had breasts and were developing pubic hair and all these. Straight and getting their periods, mm. and they couldn't find out what it was. And then that he they did Dr. Chandri, I believe his name was, and he did the work back, and the all of the mothers because they were trying to do what they did were putting these hair hair products on their kids to um, mm. relax their hair or whatever. And when they stopped using the product, they were oh. no longer in mm. precocious puberty. And they've directly linked these products right. to breast cancer, yeah. uh, and these and a lot of these, you know, the the lesser quality products are being directly marketed to um, um, uh, compromised communities or uh, less affluent communities of uh, of women. So it's a huge topic, and I only could do so much in ninety minutes, you know. And you did a wonderful job of bringing oh, many different uh, points to uh, to the the eye of the viewer uh, in the film, and so uh, you know, thank you once again for doing this and bringing it forward. Now, where can people see this? It's on the documentary channel, so um, and I, they'll have many different screenings of the film. Um, we had uh, I don't know if it'll go back in the theaters, but probably na- in Canada. In the United States, it's um, it's has a theatrical run right now mm. that's really awesome, and um, being sold all over the world. And um, the documentary channel, Jordana Ross at the documentary channel was incredibly supportive. She was the sort of the first person in, and uh, without that, we would never have uh, been able to make the film. 
So uh, big kudos to to her and to yeah. all the support. Uh, and I think it's just the beginning. It's the beginning of the conversation, right. you know. And let's hope it's a, a conversation that takes off quickly because this has been going on for a long time. And if the industry is not going to make a change, let's hope that people uh, see this and, and start making personal changes that may force the industry to make those changes that are necessary to protect us all. I think we have to put pressure on our politicians. Yeah. I think that's where it starts, our regulators and our and, and government, because it shouldn't be on us to, to figure out a, a word that's 750 letters long. I think, you know, and we all feel, and again, I'm the filmmaker, there have been some amazing people and advocates and activists working in this space for a lot longer than I have and experts. Mm-hmm. But I think if we, even if we just get, you know, Bantalk, go to uh, com. And when you click on that and you you do that, it goes directly to your um, MP, mm. and then you the MP has to respond. Right. So like we can make the change, right. and I think it's I think we're 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 looking at so many different things. I think we're ready, and I think we've kind of had enough. Well, let's hope so. And and listen, uh, all the best and congratulations with the film and for bringing this forward once again. And I recommend everyone, if you can see Toxic Beauty, look it up. Uh, try and catch it uh, on the documentary uh, channel. Uh, but but please, uh, it, it's a very worthwhile uh, film because of all the all the different sides that that uh, Phyllis brings forward in this film. Uh, you know, it's it it spans Canada and the United States. It brings personal uh, stories into this. It brings in uh, a, a very real uh, young woman who puts herself out there to, to be an example of, of using products, not using products, and see the difference in what happens to her over a number of days. And, and you know, I want to I tell you that I have specifically not mentioned any products in this because I want you to see this film. I want you to see the film so that you can see the products that are mentioned and identified in this film uh, without us having to, to bring that forward and tell you about it, because I think it's important that you see this for yourself and for everyone in your, your life that you can share this with to, uh, to get this important information out there. I, I think, David, that is, uh, is an awesome way to approach it because, yeah, there's specific products mentioned. It is an, it's an industry-wide mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm. And, and there isn't one company that's you know, more sinister than the other. Right. It is it is something that we we uh, we should uh, be aware of, and you know, and I, I'd also shout out too because I didn't make the film by myself. Yeah, you know, of course. White Pine Pictures, yep. um, Peter Raymond, producer Barry Cohen, um, cinematographer the great Iris Ng, James Yates, um, a- Andrew Munger. Uh, Sarah Jay, an a- activist and advocate that was sort of the impulse. She had the idea f- five years ago to do a television series. So it's like, you know, it's a big village. And then all the experts and amazing people in the film. I also wanted to mention that Mimi Nguyen mm-hmm. uh, was a, a master's student. She's now a medical student. Mm-hmm. She's now going to do a double MBA with her medical degree at, Bo- at Boston U and is um, going to go directly into this subject matter to to make a change, so it's affected all of us in different ways, right. and uh, it's it's awesome. Well, Phyllis, it's been wonderful having you on the show, and I, I thank you once again for bringing this forward. And uh, it's been great speaking with you. I hope that if there's a follow up to this, or if you get 
you know more information that you you you, you know you have that you can share with us. Oh yeah, it'd be I'd great to have you back on and, and talk about it. Yeah, thanks. It was great, great being here. Thank you. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Phyllis Ellis, she's the creator, writer, and director of Toxic Beauty. And as she mentioned, she didn't do this alone. She had a great team of people that helped her with this. So uh, uh, thanks to all of them as well for uh, getting this out there. And um, that's the show for today. So please check out Toxic Beauty and uh, see it. Here, uh, look for it, uh, comment on it, share the information so that we can all be protected and let's make some changes. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. Until then, on Giyah.